0: This morning, we're, we're heading towards uh, what, what I feel is going to be a, a very interesting and challenging uh, series of, of sermons that uh, I'm calling the untouchables, things that weren't ever taught or spoken about in church. And some of those Sundays, uh, will have children's ministry available outside of the main sanctuary because uh, it's going to be adult content because these were the things that were never taught when I was a young person in church. And, and, and not that we're going to get crude or, or explicit, but... Uh, I really believe that every part of the Bible is designed to speak to the building of people, and uh, the the warning that comes over and over in Song of Solomon that says, "Don't awaken love too soon," is that that's speaking, and and that's one of the untouchables. Okay, there there's things that I I would prefer parents be the one to explain to their children. And and then uh, as I looked at that, looking ahead, I thought, God, how can we prepare for a series like that? Because sometimes it's almost shock to us because, well, I've never heard that spoken about in church. Anybody ever had something preached in church that you had never heard preached in church and it was just shocking? I've been that guy. Okay, And, And I don't want to be the guy that just absolutely shocks us. But at the same time, I want you to understand that this is born out of helping you to develop in your walk with Christ. Because if any area of your life is not lining up with God's Word, it's creating a conflict within you that makes it harder for you to be obedient to the Spirit of God. Okay, I would say that a little louder for the people in the back, but it's a mouthful to repeat. Any conflict in your life with the word of God, I'll just tell you whatever that area of your life is, is what's wrong. And it may just be like our internet this morning. It could just be one little wire that needs connected to the word of God and boom, suddenly things are going well, okay? So this morning in, in that mindset of operation, the, the title of this message is, we're free to struggle, We're free to struggle. I I want you to understand that not every time we walk in, do I walk out of church feeling like a million bucks. There's a lot of times I walk out of church because when I preach this, I'm not preaching it to you. You're getting the leftovers. I'm preaching it to me first. And, And I have to examine my life and say, do I really line up with that? Because I preached it, I'm going to be ultimately held accountable for it. You're going to be held accountable because you heard it, but not to the level of the guy who preached it. So we're free to struggle. Brings us to tough questions. Okay, as we go into that series of the untouchables, there will be tough questions. How many of you love tough questions? I I knew... Jim's hand would go up because I've been around Jim a long time. The harder the question, the more Jim liked it. And I was like, man, just give me the softball questions, you know, just toss them up, let me hit them out of the park. First tough question What do you value the most? Okay, get that in your mind. What do you value the most? I was gonna bring paper and let you write this down. I would advise you for this series, if you don't make it a habit of taking notes any other time in church, take notes during this upcoming series. Because it will spur you to dig deeper into God's Word and to find answers. Because I can promise you, I don't have all the answers. I just don't. My children probably believe I do, but I don't. I I can tell you areas of this world that I'm just absolutely lost in. And I can tell you areas I'm okay in, but I don't have all the answers. What do you value the most? And and this led me to some questions that will help you figure out if what you value the most is really what you value the most. Okay, The, the first question about that is, what do you spend most of your time doing? What do you spend most of your time doing? Okay. Second one, and, ooh, this one hurts. What do you spend most of your time thinking about? Third one, this is what I call the mama and grandma question. because And the women will all laugh when I say this because this one can't really go to guys because most of the time we lay our head down and we're out. But but guys I'll ask you too just to be fair what do you what when you're about to fall asleep at night are you thinking about I'm one of those people when I lay my head on the pillow I try to pray try to think and I'm out and my wife may lay there for hours so this is where I said this is more the mom and grandma question of, when you're about to fall asleep at night what do you think about What do you spend your extra money on? And I put quotes around that because we're in a recession. (laughs) We're about to go into a recession is what the economists are telling you. I'm telling you from somebody who studied history, you're about four years into a recession before people in the expert realm start saying, hey, you might be headed to a a recession. We've been in a recession for a while. I'm just telling you. But uh, what do you spend your extra money on? And what I mean by that is outside of basic needs, you know, food, clothing, shelter, anything you spend outside of that is extra. What do you spend it on? And the last one's a funny one, okay? Which, it's not as funny. It's, this used to be something that only happened in, in far off places, but, you know, we're, we're getting more and more of it in our area. If you got home from church today and your house had been robbed... What's the first thing you would check to see if it was gone? It was probably my lawnmower. No. <laughs> no. Okay, that, that was not where that question came from. <laughs> but that, that's the first thing I thought of when I typed that question up. Is like, man, they're all going to think this sermon's about my lawnmower again. <laughs> but when you put... Those questions out there, and you come back to that initial question of what do you value the most? Did it fall into any of those categories? And and we could we could take a lot of offshoots on this, chasing rabbits, and I'm gonna try not to. But I want you to understand that that we as Christians sometimes we we feel like this this external pressure from the world that when you get saved, you gotta have all the answers and you gotta have it together and just instantly your priorities are gonna fall in line. And and I'm telling you now that if what you value the most wasn't the answer to any of those five questions, then, then maybe you need to really recheck how much you value that the most because, and it's not that those are perfect questions that get you to that perfect answer, but they get our brain thinking because a lot of times what we value the most, we're not putting any effort into. I value my relationship with God, but I only put in X amount of time per day with that relationship. Ouch. Now, Going into the Word of God just a little bit here. Romans chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. We know that our old self... And sometimes this is where the the pressure of Christianity comes from. Where you know there there are all these things that I grew up in the church being told you can't do that because it's sinful. You you can't do that because it's sinful. Anybody grow up in and, and, and I'm not trying to pick on people that are older than me, but I've studied the church when it was older than me, and, and I'm telling you that. Playing any kind of a game with cards was a no no. That was sin. I'm telling you, I struggle to put any sinfulness into Uno. Now, when you play spoons at my grandma's house at Christmas, there was lots of sinfulness going on. There was violence, there was theft. I mean, spoons may have been the most sacrilegious game we ever played with my grandmother. It wasn't a real game of spoons at Christmas till somebody was bleeding. Okay? But I, I found myself struggling against, and I still am finding myself struggling against what I've always been taught versus the Word of God. And I want to know enough of the Word of God not to go pick and choose through that old list of stuff that I was told is forbidden, but that I can walk around not looking for a list. I want want my struggle to be found in the Word of God where, God, is this desire that I have really sinful? Is it sinful? I'll tell you, there's people that have thoughts going through their head about things that the Spirit of God is trying to convict you of. And I want you to understand, conviction that comes from God talks about the action or inaction in your life not about you as a person. Okay? I want to clear that up before we go anywhere further this morning. Condemnation becomes an attack on your character and that is an act of the devil. Okay? The devil will try and tell you that Scott, if you eat that extra slice of chocolate cake, you're a glutton. The Spirit of God will tell you That extra slice of cake is not what makes you happy. You'll find the fullness of joy in the Spirit of God and in His presence. If you're finding your happiness anywhere outside of the presence of God, you're going to be under conviction. And you're going to look to change it. Because that's what God wants to do. He wants to transform you according to Romans chapter 12 by the renewing of your mind. The only way you're gonna renew your mind and your thought process thinking about, does this action or activity line up with the Word of God is if you know the Word of God. Been our emphasis for a couple years where the importance of God's Word in your life. And jumping right back here into what we just read, we know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing the body of sin which is a, another way of saying your the the king james talks about your carnal desires your fleshly desires would be brought to nothing you would be able to say have some fruit of the spirit called self control I was hoping the 12 year old would look up at me but he's not going to you would have self control because the Spirit of God begins to work through you and say, "You know, I don't need what that used to give my brain as a chemical rush." And we could tie all of this back to the physiology of the brain, but we don't have time. And without pictures, it wouldn't be as fun anyway. So, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Any of you struggle to do stop doing something because it's just a habit? I've been there. I've been there and it's not something that you would think was sinful. I've confessed this before, I'll confess it again. Dr. Pepper had a violent hold on me. I I understood some of what detoxing from other things felt like. Go without sugar for 15 days. I'm not saying you gotta go real long. At day 15 you'll notice. You'll have this coppery metallic taste in the back of your mouth. And Some of you will even have a tremor because we're so addicted to sugar and we don't even know it. Now, I'm not preaching against the evils of sugar. I'm saying the reality is that that our body became so accustomed to this wonderful chemical in our brain that kicks off called dopamine. And Craig Rochelle would say it as dopamine, you know, because it's an exciting, wonderful chemical. When when my wife reaches over and holds my hand while we're driving down the h- highway. Dopamine! I'm, I'm not gonna embarrass her too much, but <laughs> I get the same kick when my four-year-old looks up at me with that half baby talk, half adult voice, and says, I, I love you, Daddy. Dopamine. I can tell you from my past there were a lot of things that gave me that same kick that don't line up with the goodness of God. That don't line up with God's word because I was addicted to those. I don't think there's anything wrong with being addicted to my child telling me she loves me. Being addicted to my spouse giving me physical affection. Hearing my spouse say she loves me complimenting me in any way. <laughs> I'll just tell you, sometimes just the sound of her voice is addicting. Because the one who has died has been set free from sin. I want you to understand that when Jesus came in and saved your life, things changed. And you were given a freedom that most people don't talk about because, because we and our, our human selves will abuse that freedom. We'll, we'll take that freedom and, and we'll use it as an excuse to do everything we always did and and do it to excess because well I'm free from sin now or I have grace if if this is really wrong I can just say God forgive me and go instead of asking before we do it how does this really line up with your word and, and and I'm not preaching against any one vice I want you to understand that there Anything that you're addicted to that is not the Spirit of God, you have to really bring it into subjection under God's Word. Being addicted to your spouse, not against God's Word. Bible's actually very clear. The two become one flesh. You desire each other more than you desire to be apart. does not mean that you don't want time apart sometimes because absence truly does make the heart grow fonder. And it usually keeps you out of throwing and striking range when she's angry. I'm going to get hit before it's over. I'm just calling it. But Romans 8, chapter, chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. So there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, from the law of sin and death. Okay? The, the, this is one of those moments where it's hard for me not to get Pentecostal. And start shouting a little bit because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That that doesn't mean I'm free to do whatever I want and not feel bad about it. That's not what that verse means at all. That means that if I inadvertently mess it up, the Spirit of God is still there to keep me in check, not to condemn me. And we talked about the difference a minute ago. When I mess up and I'm a horrible dad or a horrible husband. I don't own that identity of I'm a horrible dad or I'm a horrible husband. I understand through conviction of the Holy Spirit that, hey Bubba, you messed that up. It's time to go make amends. It's time to go look them in the eye and tell them you're sorry. Show them what it means to be a man. Own your mistakes and work to really fix them. Instead of, well, you're just you're a terrible dad you should just go out in the shop and stay away from your children, stay away from your wife before you do more damage, you sorry dog. Condemnation becomes about you instead of about your actions or behaviors. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you going to make mistakes? You betcha. Young people, I'm just telling you, your first three years of marriage, welcome to the jungle. the honeymoon phase we call that jungle loving the post honeymoon phase it's a fight for survival because all those things you used to find adorably sweet about them you'll hate you know that that sweet beautiful wife you married all of a sudden you're going to find out (laughs) there's nights that she snores like a banshee it ain't cute it ain't pretty it's going to scare you and you're going to find yourself in that point where God is going to convict you about losing some of this just physical attraction and really beginning to know her, which the Bible's very, very cool about that. And we'll get into that another day. But about knowing her, and not just knowing her, but knowing who God made her to be. And you start to overlook a lot of things that she won't overlook for herself. And and I'll give you a freebie here, men. If you're not speaking to the image of your wife, you're failing as a husband. And I hope you're convicted about that this morning. If you're not, every time the thought crosses your mind of, man, babe, you're just beautiful. And you don't tell her that, shame on you. If you don't compliment your wife on the excellence that God has made her to be, the world is going to tell her the exact opposite. When she goes through the line at Walmart, the magazines are there lying to her, saying, this is what beauty is. This is what excellence looks like. And the world's going to tell her, and, and she was made as a, a receiver and a multiplier whatever you give a woman, she's going to receive it and she's going to multiply it. So if you give her compliments and speak to her beauty and the beauty of her character and her abilities, she's going to multiply those things. And she'll begin to walk with confidence which makes a woman more beautiful. And and we'll go into multiplication of, of how the woman works another day. It's an amazing thing because... You give a woman a a house and she'll make it a home. You You give a woman a single cell, man, and she'll give you a baby. Because she's a multiplier. That was a freebie, I don't even know why we went there this morning. By sending his own son in likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Okay, when we start to really dive into the Word of God and let Him convict us, we move past condemnation where the enemy's lies about saying, you know, you're a jerk, you're, you know, whatever the enemy is going to say to you, women in the room, when when the enemy tries to tell you you're you're ugly, you're fat, you're not good enough, those lies begin to bounce off of you because you recognize it's condemnation. And you start to walk in the freedom. You're, You're free to struggle with something other than that. Don't you know that God wants to wrestle with you? God wants to wrestle with you about things in your life. It wasn't just reserved for Jacob. And praise God, it's not all going to be like Jacob where he breaks your hip. If you haven't read that Old Testament account where Jacob wrestled, and different translations have it different. Some of them call it an angel of God. Some of them say he wrestled with God. Either way, he ends up with a broken hip. I'm not saying that every struggle that you have with God is going to lead to a broken hip, but from a place of brokenness, God can do more in and through you than you can imagine. Ephesians three fourteen through 18, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You take and suddenly, you know, this, this idea of, of we're, we're made free so that we can struggle. Comes to the point where you understand what that struggle is for. That that struggle is is not just to make you be the best version of you you can be. That that struggle is so that you can make room in, in your life and in that horrible list of questions we answered, where where man you look at that and you think man my values are way out of touch. They're probably not as out of touch as you think if you'll make room for God to operate there the stuff that you think about just before you fall asleep, are you thinking about it more than you're praying about it? That's a small adjustment. God, instead of me just sitting here thinking about it, I want to pray about it. And I I want you to do your will, but God, if it's your will, and understand that's a model of prayer from the Garden of Gethsemane. I want you to do your will, but if it's your will, this is what I'd really prefer. It's okay to pray that way. It really is. But we're here. And I love that that Paul started that that section of that letter with, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. And a short American way to say that is, for this reason I get down and pray. And, And I pray, and it's my prayer that... God would grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ can dwell in your hearts through faith. Not so that you'd be perfect and not get it wrong. The, the pressure of trying to be perfect is what kills a lot of people's faith. The, the reality that you're going to mess it up along the way and God has already factored in room for your ignorance. I'm saying that a lot nicer than the guy that said it to me. You know, he said God's made room for your stupid. And believe me, I have plenty of stupid in my life. <clears throat> I'm a middle school teacher. <laughs> you know, we, we get to we just get to be stupid sometimes. It's great. But that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted. And grounded in love. And what are we rooted and grounded to? If if you pay attention to the teachings of Jesus, He becomes your foundation. And, And to be rooted into the foundation, the rock that is Christ Jesus, it keeps you grounded. And then you're able to start beginning to get deeper into God's Word, understanding the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, the fullness of what God is trying to communicate to you. And then the verse of the day on the Bible app is, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. How how do you get God to move abundantly above all you can ask or think? Well, it's when you're rooted and grounded in love and you know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you're filled with all the fullness of God. When you get to that point, you'll see God starting to move. And how do you get there? You struggle. You struggle. You ask God the hard questions. You get in God's word going through the hard questions because you were set free to not struggle with the junk of the world, but to struggle with the fullness of the Spirit of God. It's like, and I'll I'll close it with this so you can get a picture in your mind. It's like playing a game of tag with God where it seems like less and less of the time we catch Him and we touch Him, but He's always running you down to touch you. And sometimes we lose track of being it, And we're the one that's supposed to be chasing out, trying to touch God. And we wonder why God's not touching us. Because we're called and we were set free to struggle. And part of that struggle is chasing God.